You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. So Solomon spared no expense in furnishing the building with brass and bronze, gold fixtures, hand chiseled and crafted. Solomon made sure that God received the best. We talked about this before. Such a lesson for us to always give God our best. Always give him the very, very best that we can possibly give. And why not? Why shouldn't we? Didn't he on a cross give us his best? When you are giving to God, are you giving Him your best? Today, Pastor Dave teaches on the importance of giving God your all. He gave you His best, His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. If He is willing to give you the best that He has, how much more should you be willing to give Him the best that you have? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8 with today's edition of A Sure Hope. We are going to continue our study through the Bible, and we're in 1 Kings. So if you have your Bible, take your Bible out. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. Just kind of go out of the norm. I'm going to read the first 13 verses, because that's about all we're going to cover. So let's, let, let me read them, and, and we'll just kind of set everything up for us, okay? 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the Ark. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered or for multitude. Then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. So Solomon spent seven long years building the house of the Lord. It was a beautiful building, 
built to the exact specifications that the Lord himself had given Solomon's father, David. And you remember when we studied, he used the finest lumber, the cedar from Lebanon, those beautiful trees from Lebanon. He used the best craftsmen, the most skillful stone cutters, and thousands upon thousands of workers to complete this most important building. Probably the most important building in the nation of Israel. We have no way of knowing how much it costs to build this. But I can imagine in today's economy, it would cost a fortune. It would be one of the most expensive things ever built. It'll be interesting to see, at least we won't see it, when the Antichrist gives them permission to build the third temple, how much that is actually going to cost as they start building that. We know that they're acquiring all the material as we speak. So Solomon spared no expense in furnishing the building with brass and bronze, gold fixtures, hand chiseled and crafted. Solomon made sure that God received the best. We talked about this before. Such a lesson for us to always give God our best. Always give him the very, very best that we can possibly give. And why not? Why shouldn't we? Didn't he on a cross give us his best? Didn't he give us the best that he had, his begotten son, his only dear son? Yes. So why should we not then give back all we can possibly give? When you're doing something for the Lord, it should be your best. It should be your very best. We should try to always make everything we do for the Lord our best. Not that we want to show off, but that we're doing it for God. We're doing it for him. And we want to make sure that we're doing it for our best. We shouldn't take shortcuts when it comes to the Lord. We should always want to do the very best we can. So Solomon has said in verse 51 of chapter 7, brought all the things his father David had dedicated, silver and gold furnishings, and put them into the treasuries of the house of the Lord. With the temple completed, it was time for the dedication. It was time for the dedication. And that's what we read in the first three verses. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and the heads of the tribes, chief fathers of the children of Israel. They all came in Jerusalem that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast. It was the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the Ark. Solomon begins the dedication of the house of the Lord by gathering everyone together, a great assembly of men, the elders, the chiefs, all the heads of the tribes. They're going to have a feast and they're going to have a celebration. It was a great time of feasting. And as I said, this was a magnificent building. Remember the two gigantic bronze pillars in the vestibule? One that was named Jassin, he will establish, and the other one was Boaz, in it is strength. They greeted everyone who came into the building. The temple was complete, but there was one thing that was missing. The one thing that was missing from the temple was the most important part of the temple, the ark. The ark wasn't there. The ark was in Zion, in the city of David. Now, don't get confused here. Jerusalem now is basically built on two mountains, Mount Zion and Mount Moriah. 
They encompass the two mountains that make up Jerusalem now. The city of David was on Mount Zion. The temple is built on Mount Moriah. The temple where they offered the sacrifices is built on the same mountain where Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac. That's where the temple mount is even to this day. We talked about that. The Ark of the Covenant. As beautiful and as costly as this house to the Lord was, it was still not considered a house for the Lord. Why? Because the Lord wasn't there yet. The Lord hadn't occupied the house because the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. It represents the presence of God within the sanctuary. And this is what made the house special. No costly stones, no bronze pillars, no whatever made the house special. It wasn't the house of the Lord until the Lord's presence was there. So I have to ask you, one commentator said this, excuse me. One commentator called the temple without the ark like a body without a soul or a candlestick without a candle. It wasn't complete. The temple wasn't complete without the Ark of the Covenant. We're seated in this building of brick and mortar, drywall, paint, and carpet. It's a building that we have dedicated to God. We have dedicated this place to God so that we can come and assemble together. We can give praise and worship to our God. We can listen to his word. We can fellowship one to another. We can pray and we can break bread. We've made this for We call this a house of God, a house of worship. We come here to meet with God. But the reality is, we are the temple of God. The reality is, we are God's temple. We are God's temple because we have been filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. So God's presence is in us. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul speaks about this very thing. When he's talking about the church, in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defies the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? Now, he's making reference to the church. He's making reference to the church, calling it a physical temple. It wasn't a picture. It was God's dwelling in us is a reality. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Scripture says you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in you. God in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is in you. So we are the church. We are the church. We bring God with us. Now, in 1 Corinthians 6, however, he speaks about, Paul speaks about the individual the very individuals in 6, 19, and 20. He says these things. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you've been bought by a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we come in here, we gather together, we bring God into the building. We bring God into the building. As scripture says, as as we gather together, wherever two or more are gathered, Jesus appears in the midst. The temple is a place sacred to God. And it's pure from immorality. And if it is true that we are filled with the spirit, this truth must influence our sexual behavior. We should be free 
from sexual immorality as Christians. And if we don't, we pollute God's temple. And because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, our bodies belong to God. They don't belong to us. We've been bought with a price. The price of his precious blood from Jesus Christ. And because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, God himself lives in you. God lives in this. That means we have strength, power over sins. We have power over the flesh that is living within us. And we should be pure. We should be chaste. We should be holy. Be ye holy even as your Father in heaven is holy. We try to do the things of God by following his commands and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. People tell me, I don't need to come to church. I can worship God at home because God's in me, correct? Well, that's, yeah, that's correct. That's okay. You can worship God anywhere in any place, but something happens when we gather together. Something special happens when we gather together. In fact, Paul, again, the writer of Hebrews, writes this in chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. He said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the purpose of gathering together and assembling ourselves together is for mutual encouragement and strengthening. How are we strengthened? By the word of God. We are strengthened by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we are strengthened by the word of God. We're strengthened by exhorting each other, lifting each other up through prayer, through fellowship. That's what's so important here. Forsaking fellowship is a sure way to give place for discouragement. If you're discouragement and you're forsaking fellowship, I can guarantee you're getting more and more discouraged. I can guarantee that you're getting more and more miserable because you've forsaken fellowship. Come here to be encouraged. Come here to be lifted up. Come here to learn about Christ. Come here to get close with your fellow brothers and sisters as they get close to the Lord. But unfortunately, and this has been said a million times by, by all three of us, Bill, Mark, and me, when you don't feel well, when you had a bad day, when things aren't going well, the first thing you want to do is cut out church. The very first thing you want to do, well, you think Satan doesn't know what you need most? So all of a sudden, I don't want to go to church because I've had a bad day. But if you push through and you come, it's amazing what can happen. The encouragement, the love, the hope that will dwell in you. It's amazing. When we exhort one another, when we learn of God's word, it's so important to gather the brethren so many people just go to church when they feel like it or when they feel the need for it. But our motivation for fellowship must be to obey God through his word. God tells us not to forsake the gathering, not to forsake the assembly. And this is what we're doing here. This is the assembly. We can go to church looking to encourage someone who needs to be encouraged. And that's what we should always be doing. Looking for that person who has that down face, who's kind of discouraged so that we can come alongside them and encourage them in the Lord. Pray for them. Help them out. You're the presence of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. This is what the church is all about. This is what it looks like. And I think it's very, very important. Yes, at this time, God is going to dwell in, on that ark. 
He's going to dwell right there. And we read it where he comes, the big cloud comes down. We'll, we'll read it again here in a minute. God is going to dwell. But in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is in you. God in you. You have that Holy Spirit. So they're bringing up to Jerusalem the Ark of the Covenant. And it becomes the first part of the dedication of the temple. The temple was not ready to operate until the Ark got there. Until the Ark, the Ark was so important. It's so important. They take the Ark and they set it where it belongs in the most holy place. They set it there. It's interesting that if you look at verse 3, Solomon avoids the problem that David did. Remember in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, David decided he was going to bring the ark back. He was going to bring the ark back, remember? And they built a new cart and got it all ready. And he took it down there and they got the ark and they put it on the ark and they were bringing it back and the ark started to slip and one of his guys went to study the ark and he was killed instantly because he touched the ark of the covenant. He was doing it the wrong way. The ark was never supposed to be on a cart. There were poles made that slid through the ark that the priest would carry the ark. It took a long time for David to remember that. And he finally remembered that and went back and got the ark. He brought it up and he placed it where it belonged in the city of David in a tabernacle that he built. He built a tabernacle especially for the ark and he put it there. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 6. So they got that there. All right. Verse 4, we read, they brought the ark up of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. They get all these things up there, all the furnishings of the tabernacle. The priests now they make a way back to Jerusalem, carrying the ark upon the poles. It's not that far from the city of David to Jerusalem. So they were bringing the ark back. They had it on poles like they were supposed to. And what do they do? They move it to the Temple Mount, which is on Mount Moriah. It's on Mount Moriah. It's there to this day. I've told you time and time again. It's there to this day. So in verse 5, Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with them were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for the multitude. They were having this huge feast. It's kind of like when they moved the last time, you know, they'd take two steps and they slaughter an animal and sacrifice, take a couple more steps and slaughter an animal and sacrifice. This must have been one whale of a barbecue. Whew. Must have been great. They must have had a great time. It must have been a lot of fun, you know. They were having a great time bringing this ark up. It was a very, very festive time. They all went before him. They all went before the ark. They all went before him. The ark meant so much to the people. It was a great celebration. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. Then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, into the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could not be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and they were there to this day. So the ark is put into the temple. It's put into the most holy place. Remember, the temple had a huge court, and then there was a holy place, and then there was a most holy place. We studied the particulars when we looked at how the temple was built, the parameter. This one little room, this one little room 
that only the priest could go into, the high priest could go into, and he could only go in there once a year. And he couldn't go in without blood. He first had to make sacrifice for himself, to be clean for himself, and then he could go in. This was such an interesting place. I know you heard the stories. At the bottom of the robe, they had bells on them, little chimes. If they heard them not moving, they think the priest did something wrong and was struck dead. In order to get him out, nobody could go in. In order to get him out, they tied a rope around his leg. So if he went in and did something wrong and the Lord struck him dead, they could pull him out without going into the Holy of Holies. This was a very, very sacred place. It was the most sacred place in all of Israel. The most sacred place because it's a place where God was. It's interesting, though, that the cherubim we read look out towards the holy place. The cherubim look out towards the holy place. But the original mercy seat, where did the cherubim look? Who knows? Where's my scholars? Yeah, they looked at each other. They were on top of the ark and they looked at each other. Their wings went out like this. One coming each way. They looked at each other. But here they were looking out. I like what one commentator said. The angels of God not only look into the mystery of God's grace, they also behold the mystery of God's people and learn about God's grace. I I like that. I I wrote that up. Something interesting, though, about the Ark of the Covenant that we read in the next verse. It's very, very interesting. Look at verse 9. Nothing was in the Ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. The only thing that was in the ark was two stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on it. Why was this interesting? What would this be? Oh, come on. (laughs) Right, they're missing two objects. Two objects are missing from the ark. Back in Exodus 16.33 and in Numbers 17, we're told that not only did they put the two tablets of the Ten Commandments in there, but they put a jar of manna, remember the angel food that fell from heaven, and they put in Aaron's rod that budded. That was all in there. This clearly says nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone. That's it. We might as well go home. There's a, there's a con- contradiction. The Bible's wrong. Oh, my gosh. No. No. What happened? Where are they? Well, you know what? Nobody really knows where they are. Nobody really knows where these two things are or why they were taken out of the ark. Were they taken out of the ark when the Philistines had it? Remember all that time that the Philistines had the ark? They could have robbed it. I don't know. They could have taken it out. We're not sure. I love what John Corson said about this. One of the commentators I love to read is John Corson. I really like what he said about this. I'm going to read it to you. Quote, I believe that the Holy Spirit included this information to help us to come to a very important understanding.
This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Thanks for tuning in. Throughout the book of 1 Kings, we read about rulers who had victories and rulers who failed miserably. King Solomon, known as the wisest king, made his own fair share of mistakes in his life. In fact, in his later years, he began to put his faith in wealth and women rather than wisdom of the Lord. How often do we do that? How often do we put our faith in the worldly things rather than in the Word of God? If you have some questions about what you heard today, we'd be happy to try to answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the Messages tab when you visit AssureHopeRadio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. Each Sunday, we gather at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and you can find directions and more about Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at AssureHopeRadio.com. There's more to learn from the Book of 1 Kings next time, so be sure to join us again right here on Assure Hope.